for allowing us to be here today, Father, to gather in your presence, to hear what thus saith the Lord. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable because you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be talking about today. The enemy is trying to get in, but he gets none. Amen. He gets none. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. And it says, well, I still hear some page rustling, so I'll wait a moment. All right. Amen. When you get there, it says, this church is an awesome church. Hallelujah. Amen. And it reads, Then answered I and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. And when that part is saying you have no right, no portion, that's talking about the enemy, not us. Amen. Amen. We're going to arise and build. You may take your seats. Uh, we're going to be talking about Nehemiah. And before I get into the text, just a, be- a brief background of who Nehemiah was, it's important to know who the people are that are um, talking, right, or who are we're talking about. So the name Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. Isn't that awesome? We know the story of Nehemiah and how he was, he had a burden of the Lord. He went to rebuild the walls, restore the walls and the gates that were burned with fire. He did all of that. But even before that, out of his mother's womb, he had a name that would bring comfort to the people that he was bringing restoration to. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, one of the things, a couple of things about Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he understood the importance of the call on his life and he didn't play with it. He understood it. Nehemiah, when he heard about what was going on, about the gates that were burned with fire, about the walls that were torn down, he wept when he heard of the news of that happening. He knew that if we didn't repair these walls or do something about it, it literally showed the people that people fear man and not God. Because how many of us know when God calls us to do something, it is not going to be a cakewalk. And then we have to ask ourselves, are we going to do it because God said do it, or are we going to shriek back because of the way man may look at us? Nehemiah didn't have that issue. Sometimes we won't fix things in our lives because of how man may view us. Have you ever had an issue going on in your life, but you were just too embarrassed to talk about it? I know I have. I have. And I didn't want to fix the issue because I didn't want people to look at me a certain type of way. But see, when Nehemiah went to rebuild that wall and repair the gates that were burned with fire, he didn't care about how man looked at him. He didn't even care about how King Artaxerxes looked at him because there was a plan. Amen. Everybody said, there is a plan. Nehemiah was also a man of prayer. Nehemiah showed us how to pray and listen to God for his answers. And in one chapter, he spent a long, in chapter one, he spent a long time in prayer. If you look at chapter one, it says, it was, uh, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year. And if you go over to chapter 2, it says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan. So we know just by looking at that, there was three to four months in between the time the, uh, chapter 1 went uh, was written to chapter 2. It was four months, months that he literally prayed. And God wants us to spend time in prayer before we move ahead. Amen. See, he didn't mind fasting and praying and waiting on God. And sometimes we get in a hurry because we may hear a word and we say, oh, wow, that's the word for me. So I need to go and do it right now. But what Nehemiah did, he waited. He fasted. He prayed. He said, Lord, I'm going to wait to hear what you are saying. And in chapter two, God put that plan in Nehemiah's mind. And he told the people that he had favor. He had been favored. And then also It's really interesting, as much as the enemy had tried to discourage Nehemiah from doing what God has put in his heart to do, he didn't get discouraged. How many of us get discouraged if we break a toenail? If a nail pop off, we get discouraged. I ain't going nowhere. My nail don't look right. I can't go to my nail. (laughs) But Nehemiah, he was so determined. He did the work in spite of what popular opinion was. The popular opinion was that you're not doing it. This is what the enemy was saying. You can't build this wall. You can't erect this. We're going to set up all types of traps and tricks 
and distractions to try to get you distracted from what God called you to do. But how many know it only took 52 days to do that? Let me tell you something. When God is behind you and what he's told you to do, it's not going to take a whole long time unless he wants it to for you to get something done. Amen. Nehemiah was also a patient man. He exhibited patience. He prayed for months and then when and God answered his prayer, he took his time to do what God called him to do. He prepared and he planned. See, Nehemiah wasn't just willy-nilly off the cuff. He didn't just go and, oh, I think I want to go build these walls back. Apostle, you know, the gates are burned down, the walls are jacked up. I'm going to build the walls and I'm just going to run over there and do it. Nehemiah didn't do that. He had a plan. He got his plan from God. You know, in the long run, he's, he was going to need uh, equipment. He was going to need wood and, and things to rebuild the wall. And he, with the favor of God on his life, he ended up getting that because he got a letter from Artaxerxes that allowed him to pass through the forest without being beat down or, you know, deterred. And he, he had favor. And he also inspired people to work. I want to tell you today that we have a leader, Apostle Amanda, Brother James. They inspire me. I don't know about you. How many do they inspire you? They inspire us. When you got a good leader, your leader is literally going to inspire you to be the best you can be in the kingdom of God. See, Nehemiah wasn't having it because he knew that his God was with him. If God be for us, who can be against us? I may see the enemy coming up, but you get none. You may try to buffet me, but you get none because the Bible says that greater is who? He that is in who? Me than he that is where? In the world. So it don't matter. It didn't matter to Nehemiah because he know that God had given him his instruction. He was a servant. Nehemiah was a servant before he could go and build. Now this is really interesting because we know that Nehemiah was a servant, a servant to a pagan king. He was a king's cupbearer. Now, you know, what he did was he tasted the wine before he gave it to the king and to see, to make sure that that wine was not poisoned. Now, you know what? Nehemiah could have held that cup up to his mouth if he wanted to and acted like he was tasting that wine. <laughs> but he tasted the wine to make sure that the person that he was serving would stay safe. How many of us know that before we can even get to the point where God has called us to build anything, we got to know how to serve. And we have to know how to serve from our heart with gladness, not murmuring, not whining, not complaining. You know, we don't want to get caught up like the children of Israel where the old folk died off in the wilderness and the, the new generation was able to go in except a couple that was obedient. We have to have a servant's heart without murmuring. Just because I don't understand what God is telling me to do, it don't mean I ain't going to do it. It is none of my business to question God on what he said. It was none of, Nehemiah just got the burden of the, of, of the people and of what needed to be restored. And he didn't question God. Well, God, why are you sending me? Well, God, you know, I, I can't do that because I'm, I'm not learned. You know, no. Nehemiah said, okay. He received that burden and he went and did what God called him to do. And also, no matter what obstacles came about, Nehemiah, he wouldn't let it stop his work. One of the things that they did when he was on the wall, he said, you know what? I'm not going to come down to you, and I'm going to get into that. He said, I'm not coming down to you. Why should I come down there, and I'm doing a great work up here, building this wall to fortify the cities? Because you know that whenever cities were left wide open like that, the enemy could just run them up, in and out, in and out, and take what they wanted to. But Nehemiah he said, I'm not coming down. And he even appointed people that had weapons. Okay, and if you come up here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot you. <laughs> now, they had spears back then, but today we say, you know what? You come up here if you want to. <laughs> come on up here and try to stop God's work. And that's how serious they were about building what was destroyed. How serious are we today on rebuilding the walls in our life? That the enemy has come in like a flood and destroyed it. God says, I will raise up a standard against, against the enemy, but will you let me raise up that standard? Will you let me raise up the standard against the enemy that's tried to literally destroy your peace, your life, your home? Will you let me? Nehemiah was a man of integrity. He had high integrity. Do we have integrity? And he also desired to restore the hearts and relationships. See, now a good leader is going to desire to restore the hearts back to God and the relationships of broken families. 
He led the people to make a new commitment to God, and they were jacked up. They were doing everything. And do you know that um, it was only a few people that came back? Some of the uh, people wanted to stay where they were in a whole other city, even though God was doing a work of restoration. They stayed where they're at because they were comfortable. How many of us know that we cannot stay where we're at? We've got to move ahead. Amen. Nehemiah was wholly focused on God. He didn't let Sanballat, Tobiah, and the um, Arabian distract him. They were saying all type of stuff. Come on down. Let's go have lunch. Let, you know, they even told him, let's go into the temple. Nehemiah knew that that was a place where the priests belonged, and he wasn't going there. Amen? So we have to also stay where we are in our lane. Amen? Apostle talks about that quite a bit. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Stay in your lane until God brings you to where he wants you to be. So going back to Nehemiah 2.20, I'm going to read that again. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I love that part of the scripture because that tells me right there. Even in the Old Testament, they they telling the enemy. When was the last time the enemy tried to buffet you and said, hold up. You will have no right in my house. You have no memorial here in my house and you have no portion. That means you're not getting one thing that God has given to me. We talked about a couple of days ago, with, uh, I talked about with Judah about being on the offense. If you're on the offense is when you see the enemy coming, but you're going to do something before the enemy comes to try to steal your stuff or wreck your peace. You're going to already be fortified in the word. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. But you got to have some word in your belly. You got to have some word in your spirit, in your belly that can back the enemy up. And that comes through relationship with God, not relationship with man. It comes with a prayer life. You just want the fire and the anointing of the Holy Ghost all over you. Get in some prayer. Get in some prayer for real. Spend time with God. Spend time in the word and you'll begin to see things shift in your life. What used to take you under will no longer take you under. What used to make you sick will no longer make you sick. The people that used to irritate you, you will literally want to pray for them. Amen? Literally want to pray for them. So Nehemiah, he was awesome. He was awesome in God because he got it. Nehemiah got it. He understood what his assignment is. And it's not until we understand what our assignment is, we may be running all over the place. Running, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to please this person, trying to please that person. Why? Because you don't know your assignment. If your assignment is that of an intercessor, then intercede. If your assignment is that of one that go out and declare the work of the Lord to the people that are lost down the street from you, do that. Do what God has called you to do, but we're not going to find out what our assignment is if we don't have relationships. See, Nehemiah had a relationship with God. Say, relationship with God is key. Now say it like you mean it. Relationship with God is key. Amen, amen. Do you believe that? Amen, amen. Now when Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls, it was, it was several walls that had to be rebuilt. He rebuilt the sheep gate, and what does that represent? It work, represents the work of the cross in our lives. It represents spiritual construction foundation the fish gate represents christian witness the old gate represents the old nature changing to the new whenever we look at these gates it looks like to me there is a progression first you become a sheep you get rid of the old stuff and then you know you become uh you look at the old gate and you're getting rid of all the old stuff the valley gate speaks of suffering and testing we're going to be tested Nehemiah was tested, but the gates that he was building, if you, you can literally parallel them to our spiritual lives. And when you talk about that, that valley gate of suffering and testing, Jesus, was he suffered. The Bible says that he uh, learned obedience through the things he suffered. He, when he was in the wilderness, he suffered. He was hungry. He was fasting. It said in Luke chapter 4 that God thrust him in, the Holy Spirit thrust him into the wilderness. Some translations translate it that way. And so sometimes it may seem like you just got thrust into a wilderness experience and ain't nobody up in there but you and the devil. No, 
the God, our God is always with you. He says, I will never leave you and forsake you. So just because we go through something don't mean that God left us. And just because we go through something does not mean that we're supposed to give up and say, you know what? This is too much. I'm not doing this. I ain't signed up for this. Well, if you were a soldier in the army of the Lord, you signed up for something. <laughs> what you signed up for? To care to be the water boy? <laughs> no, soldiers fight. Soldiers go into battle armed and ready. See, the problem nowadays is everybody want to be armed and cute, apostle. They want to be cute. <laughs> don't want to sweat. Don't want to fight. Don't want to learn how to wield your weapon. See, how can I put this cutely, nicely? Okay, so if you have a gun, you need to go and learn how to shoot that gun. Otherwise, you're going to tear up some stuff, right? You're going to be shooting everything that moves. You know, see a, a bug, pow, I'm going to kill you. You got to know how to use your gun. When, you got to use, know the rules and regulations of owning a firearm. If we don't know the word, we won't know the rules and regulations. We'll just go out quoting scriptures that sound good to us. And like Manny was saying today, taking stuff all out of context. In the Old Testament, there was a scripture that says, if my mama see and kill her, do that mean I'm going to go kill? No. That was Old Testament. That had to do with a totally different situation back then before grace, before Jesus. People were literally put to death for doing stupid stuff in the Old Testament. But then you get some knuckleheads that don't read their Bible and just take a few scriptures out of the word and say, well, you sinned. The Bible said, I got to kill you. <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. We have to be students of the word. And if we're students of the word, when we're going through suffering, when we're going through testing, we can pick up our word and say, you know what? I know this is going on, but according to your word, God, this is what you said. And you can begin to decree and declare a thing, and it will be so. Not the stuff that comes to our head. What, the, what comes from the word is what's going to cause the enemy to back up. Amen? Amen. There was also a dung gate, D-U-N-G. We all know what that is, okay? Don't got to explain that. But it represented the works of the flesh, which must be eliminated. So when, when Nehemiah was, was repairing the, the uh, walls and the gates, this was serious. Because everything that he did meant something. God never does anything without a meaning. Amen. God just don't do stuff in our lives just to be doing it. There is a purpose for what God does. And when he was repairing that dung gate, if you look at it from a spiritual perspective, God is saying, get all the filth, the trash, the muck, the mire, all the stuff out of your spirit. Because there's a work I need you to do. But I can't do a work in you when you're full of stuff. Amen. He repaired the fountain gate, which represents the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know if we ain't went through the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, how can the Holy Spirit work in us? How can he work through us if we got clutter in our spirit? If we're not praying, we're not fasting, you know, and then when God begins to reveal things in us that are not like him, we don't want to dismiss it and say, well, that ain't me. That must be for somebody else. And we're going to talk about that a little later. But we got to get to the point to where when the Holy Spirit is working on us, we need to admit what's going on. If you got a drug problem, God already know you got the problem. He know, but he still love you. If you got a problem with alcohol, womanizing, manizing, whatever it is that's contrary to the word of God, God already knows in the Holy Spirit, he will help clean you up in those areas. But we got to first confess it. We got to first make sure that we're confessing it. And, you know, say, God, yeah, this is me. Time out. Time is out for just sweeping stuff under the rug like God don't know. He not winking at it, because guess what? He know you know. And I'm determined in 2022, every single day from this day or yesterday forward, I'm going to make the most out of every day that I can for God. Notice I didn't say for Allison. I'm not for me, for God. So if that means I have to get up a little bit early in the morning to allow the Holy Spirit to work on me, so be it. <laughs> 
If I have to turn the TV off and stay up late at night and say, God, I just want to get in your word. I remember one time I was very dry. I was dry, spiritually dry, but still functioning. And I began to cry out to God. And I said, God, give me back my fervor. Give me back the desire, the passion, the, the want to want to get in your word. I want that back. And I tell you what, sometimes I'm at work and I'll be peeking over there at my Bible, you know. But, you know, because God is, he's restoring. God said in his word that I will restore the years that the palmer worm, the canker worm, and the locusts have eaten. What is going on in your life today that you need restoration in? What's going on for real? What's going on for real? You know, that stuff we don't talk about. That hidden stuff, them hidden agendas. The stuff we don't think nobody see, but let me tell you about a seer. A seer can see. Your pastor can see. Because she don't call me up. What's going on with you? I'm like, oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. Well, this is what's going on. And I'm so glad you called. You know? So people can see. So after that fountain gate, Nehemiah also was restoring the water gate. Which, what does that represent? It represents the word of God. How many of us know we have to restore the word of God in our lives? We're not in the word enough. We're not, I'm going to say it again. We are not in the word enough. And I'm not just saying get into it to remember scriptures, to quote them. Get into the word so the word can get in us. So everything that's not like God can be pushed out. Because I'm going to tell you something, and we all know this garbage in, garbage out. Word in, word out. Amen? The word, like Apostle was saying, take it three times a day. It's like medicine. Let me tell you something what the word has done for me. The word has healed me. The word has delivered me. The word has set me free. The word has caused me to love to uh, love my enemies instead of hate them. The word has really took root in my spirit to the point where if it ain't God, I don't want nothing to do with it. And I'm not playing footsies and toesies with the devil. Amen? We can't do that. We can't be up watching, cussing and kissing and you know what and all that stuff and going on on the TV and then get in the presence of God like ain't nothing going on in our spirit. We just polluted where the spirit of God dwells. And then we want to try to get into prayer and wonder why ain't nothing happening. Wondering why we can't get a prayer through a breakthrough. But see, God wants us to get right with him for real. Amen. There was also the horse gate that he restored. And that represents warfare. There's going to be warfare in life. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not what? carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling town of strongholds so the warfare that we go through are not flesh and blood we're not warned against our brothers and our sisters they just may be used by the devil so what do we have to do we have to get in the spirit and we pray for them when we ask God how to deal with it amen he also restored the eastern gate and that speaks of the believer's hope in the return of Jesus because he is coming soon contrary to the world's Popular demand, Jesus is coming soon. We see the signs, we see the symptoms, we see everything that the Bible has talked about, and we know that he is coming soon. One moment. I just uh, flipped my uh, words one second here. Hallelujah. So we know that Jesus is coming soon, and you know when he comes, he's coming for a church without a spot or wrinkle. Amen? Some people say, I've heard that all my life. All my life I've heard that Jesus is coming soon. Well, guess what? Yeah, he is coming soon. And we have to be prepared. We have to be literally prepared for his second coming. A lot of people are, think they're prepared, but they're not. They think they're prepared, but they're not. And we have to get uh, prepared and ready for his return. Now, one, another thing that I want to talk about this morning is, well, also there was one other gate. It's called the Mispah Gate, and that speaks of self-examination and the judgment at the seat of Jesus, which is the Bema Seat. But what I want to uh, bring out on that is that Mispah Gate, when it speaks of self-examination, we literally have to examine ourselves. We ain't examining other people. 
See, what the enemy wants us to do is get so focused on what somebody did or said or acted towards us that we won't examine ourselves and get ourselves right. So what do our spiritual walls include? Walls of salvation, the gates of praise, the work on the cross, at the cross for our lives, our witness, our old nature being changed into a new nature. And that, you know, for me has been a challenge over the course of the years because I thought, you know, when I first got uh, saved, you know, it was so wonderful. And I, I was on high on the mountain. Life was wonderful. And then as I grew in the Lord, the Lord began to reveal more things in my heart, in my spirit that need to come up. I didn't even realize that I had anger, bitterness, strife, contention. I thought I was the nicest person that I knew. But when God began to reveal to me what was in me, it tore me up. But I had to let him do it, and we have to let him change that old nature. He wants us to eliminate the works of the flesh. He won't allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. We need to be into the word of God. Now, these are like gates. Are you protecting the word of God in you? Are you protecting the work that the Holy Spirit has done in your heart? How do you protect that? By not giving way or place to the devil again in those areas. If God has already helped you with your potty mouth, then before you use that mouth to spew pottiness, and <laughs> that's my own word I made up today, out of, on somebody, Think before we speak, okay? Hallelujah. When you look at the situation that was going on in Jerusalem, it was bad. And when you look at chapters 1 and 2 of Nehemiah, it describes the condition of the walls around Jerusalem. They were in ruin. They were destroyed by the enemy invasion, and the gates had been burned with fire. And if our spiritual walls are destroyed... We're literally open to the attack of the enemy. What was the reason for the problem? What was the reason for the problem? Nehemiah recognized that the walls had been destroyed in the city uh, in his present condition of sin. Let's look at Nehemiah 1, 5 through 7, and I'm going to read that. The reason for the the destruction was because of sin. 1, 5 through 7. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess what the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Now, when you look at this scripture, yeah, we get in trouble because of sin. Not even so much as what somebody else did to us. We get in trouble because of sin. But one thing I want to point out about Nehemiah, he was never there. But yet he identified himself with them even though he was never there. Because those were his people. Amen? If you look at uh, Nehemiah 2.18, another thing that he said, he had prepared, he had planned, and he was determined to arise and build. Go to 2.18. And this says, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good as a, which was good upon me as also the king's words that he has spoken unto me. And they said, let us arise and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Everybody say this good work. Their hands were strengthened to do what God has called them to do. And Nehemiah, he, as I said before, he was an encourager. He was one that when he came on the scene, he got the people together and he encouraged them to build the things of God. And that's what we're getting here at at Miracle Temple. We are being encouraged to build the things of God, build the kingdom. That's what Nehemiah did. And when Nehemiah... Uh, He was determined to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, but he met powerful opposition from his enemy. How many of you meet opposition from your enemy, your boss, the people that need to sit next to you at work, people in your family? It's always going to be some type of opposition, but we can't let that hinder us and stop us from doing what God has called us to do. You're going to have many troubles and trials in this life, but what are you going to do with those trials? What are you going to do when they come? Are we going to murmur, whine, complain? Oh, nobody loves me. 
No, God loves you. But we're going to have trial and tribulations. Now, when we're looking at the attacks, there were external attacks. And these attacks were launched by the enemy. What are some of the external attacks that may be launched on your life? Direct criticism. 2.19, Nehemiah. It says, but when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Gershom, Geshem, excuse me, the, the Arabian heard it, they laughed to us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing ye do? Will you rebel against the king? Now, Nehemiah wasn't thinking about rebelling against the king. In fact, Nehemiah got permission from the king to go and do what he did. He got the signet ring, proof. He got a letter from the king. But here goes the enemy. Now, we have to be very careful when the enemy is accusing because he's also known as the accuser of the brethren. See, it said that, will you rebel against the king? So what is he trying to do? He's literally trying to put something in Nehemiah's mind, okay, that wasn't even true. He had permission from the king to go. And so the enemy, he criticized, what do you think you're doing? They were literally, the enemy was against the reconstruction project and project it tried in every way to prevent it. The enemy will try in every way to keep you from fulfilling your destiny, to keep you from fulfilling what God has called you to do. They mocked and scorned him. Have you, anybody ever been mocked? Anybody ever been scorned? Everybody, anybody ever been lied on? <laughs> I know I have a lot. When you look at Nehemiah 4, 1 through 3, let's go there. But it came to pass, and I love the word. Do you guys love the word? Amen. He was mocked and scorned, and that's what we're going to endure for Christ. Because Jesus was mocked, he was scorned. It says, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and, I'm a second, wroth, and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. So he was, he was mad. He was real mad. You know, indignation, that's pretty heated right there. And he spake before his brethren and the army of the Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he will even break down their stone wall. Hear our God, O God, for we are despised and turned their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. So what were they doing? They were literally mocking them. But, you know, yo, that wall going to be so weak that you build even a fox. You know, foxes are little. <laughs> they little. They like, what, one to three pounds or something like that? The little ones? So they were literally saying that your God can't help you build nothing that's going to stay. And that's what the enemy tries to tell us. He tries to mock us. He even takes situations in our lives that, see, if, if, if you was really saved, this wouldn't be happening, or, or if God really loved you, that wouldn't be happening. The devil is a liar. He's been a liar, he's going to stay a liar. He, they wielded false accusations. If you look in Nehemiah 6, 5, and 7, the enemy attacked Nehemiah personally with false accusations. I'm going to go there right quick. Five, uh, 6, 5, and 7. 5 through 7. Then Sanballat, there goes Sanballat again, that same person. How many of y'all got some same people? <laughs> that was that same person all over again. My goodness, can't they just go somewhere and bother somebody else? But here goes Sam Ballard all over again with the false accusations. Then sent Sam Ballard, his servant, unto me in like manner, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. Now here he come sending somebody else. If the enemy can't get it through one person, he'll try to get you through somebody else, okay? So we have to be uh, understanding that the enemy is relentless, but guess what? Our God is all-powerful, amen? So we sent someone else, and Sanballat sent his servant unto me in like manner, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashima saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem. Now, that didn't even happen, apostle. 
that did not even happen. This is what the enemy was setting up. He was putting that spirit, he was putting that seed in the minds of people. And he was trying to distract Nehemiah from doing what he was supposed to do. It says, I'm going to read 7 again. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now it shall be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. So he was trying to counsel Nehemiah. Come on now. Don't take counsel from the wicked. If you look at uh, Psalms chapter 1, it said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor citizens in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. So we can't let people get us off our track. Amen. If God has called you to do something, don't, don't even let false accusation deter you from doing what you need to be doing. Amen. The enemy also will try to cause a diversion in your spirit. In Nehemiah 6, 2, the enemy tried to get Nehemiah to join them for a meeting. He was, you know, and, and that right there, that's a trip. Verse 2, then that Sam battled the Gershom, sent unto them, saying, Come and let us meet together. Some one of the villages in the plain of oh no, but they thought to do me mischief. See, he already knew what was up. If you stay in the word, if you stay in prayer, if you stay in the presence of God, even when the enemy comes with something that may seem like it's okay, it's right, or maybe it's good for you, the Holy Spirit will literally let you know because it said that they thought to do, he said they thought to do me mischief. He already knew what the plot was. Why? Because the Lord showed him why he spent time in prayer, he spent time in fasting, and he spent time in the word. And the enemy... He wants to divide. Be very careful of that, of the enemy wanting to divide. And division, you know, comes from the devil, not God. Also, another thing that the enemy will try to use, like he did in Nehemiah, is popular influence. He will try to use people. He'll get a whole, the enemy will get a whole group of people saying one thing and got a lick of God on it. But it sound good. It sound right. And because everybody else is doing it, then I'm going to do it. The devil is a liar. No, we cannot do that. When you look at what, uh, what I had just read to you, a false uh, prophet claiming to be of God was um, in verses, let's see, chapter 6, verse 10 to 13. It talks about that. A false prophet claiming to be from God. Popular opinion would say, oh, that's a prophet of the Lord. We're going to listen to them. I'm going to get my word. I'm going to tell you, and I say this all the time, between in, between in and amen, it's all the words you need. Quit running behind these prophets, prophet liars. That's going to give you a word and people will follow apostle or false prophet all the way down to the pit as long as that word is something that they want to hear. I'm going to get a house. I'm going to get a wife. I'm going to get a husband. I'm going to get a car. I'm going to get a this. What about getting some Jesus? What about getting some Holy Ghost? See, the enemy will use people that's not even speaking the word of God. They speaking about the word to draw you in, but it's a, a seducing spirit. The enemy will literally try to seduce you out of the kingdom of God, out of the word of God, out of the house of God to get you in his camp to destroy you. And if he can divide you, the Bible says that a divided house can't stand, right? So why would we allow the enemy to divide us? Why would we allow the enemy to speak lies in our ears? See, that tells us if we are so in tuned and focused to the lies and tricks of the enemy, we're not in the word. For real. We're not in prayer. For real. We're not. It was a time when I almost got tricked out of the kingdom because I wasn't in the word. And this is not recently. This is when I was a semi-baby in Christ. But I was listening to too many people. I was listening to what these this religion said and what that people said and what they said. And I was all mixed up. But guess what? I was leaning towards the sect, S-E-C-T, that was more loving and more kind and wanted to help and ain't nobody going to hell and Jesus was a prophet and he was not the, you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? Okay. But those were some of the kindest people I ever met. And I had started studying with them. 
because they were so kind. What is wrong with the church when a whole nother sect of religious people can be more kinder than we are? Then they will go out and come and get you and take you places and don't charge you. Oh, you knew I need $2 for gas. No, they come willing to take you and don't even ask for gas money. What is wrong with the church? I know I'm talking right today. See, God wants to deal with us in love. We need to see, but if we let the enemy conquer and divide us, We'll always see something wrong with our brother. We'll always see something wrong with our sister, with our pastor, with our mama, with our daddy. We always see the glass half empty. And it's not. In my opinion, my glass is running over. I don't know about yours. It's running over. Amen. The enemy wants us to compromise. Nehemiah, he wouldn't compromise. Nehemiah refused to compromise. He did not conform to the wrong lifestyle and the principles that were around him. See, this is one thing we have to really get in our spirit that no matter what I see, no matter what's going on, I will not compromise the word of God to fit in with you. Look at what happened a lot when they went over there to, to, uh, where would they go? Where was that? Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) They got around the wrong crowd. And they were so comfortable in that plush, lovely land, eye-wise, but spiritually was jacked up. But they were so comfortable, they were so wanting to have the best. And there's nothing wrong with having the best. But when having the best puts you in a place where you begin to compromise your morals, your character. You begin to look the other way when things are being done and we know it's wrong, but we look the other way and say, man, I hope God fixed that. I ain't touching that. No, we have to say, you know what, Lord? I'm not even, I'm not going to be a part of this filth and what's going on over here. I'm not going to be a part of the half truth that's being told. I'm going to be around the whole truth because the Bible says that the devil is who? The father of lies. So if we entertain and have truth, who is your daddy? Who is your daddy? So Nehemiah would not compromise. He said in Nehemiah 5.15, this is the latter half, he said, so did I not because of the fear of God. In other words, I'm not getting mixed up with what you're doing because I fear God. I fear the king. I, I want to be in the kingdom and I fear the Lord. He didn't care about the threats. He was still going to do what God called him to do because God called him to do it. Whatever God calls you to do, encourages you to do, puts on your life to do, he's going to give you the strength to do it and it will come to pass. But the enemy is going to be there. But we know that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And God has our back. Everybody said, God got my back. Hallelujah. I know he got mine. Hallelujah. So there was fighting, there was fighting and hindering. And let me see, Nehemiah 4, 8, it says, and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem to hinder it. The enemy is not giving up to his territory easily. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But the Bible says, God came to give life and life more abundantly. And he's going to strengthen you for the fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word of God is our weapon and we have to really get in it to be able to wage the type of war we need to against the enemy. Now we know the war has been won. Jesus defeated everything at the cross, but there are little wars going on now. The war of your soul, the war for your spirit. The enemy wants you to fight one another. He wants you to be in division. He wants to hinder the work of the kingdom. And then also there was a conspiracy. A conspiracy or a plot was made against Nehemiah by the enemy. The enemy plots against our lives also. The enemy, uh, the, the um, Sanballat and all of them, They were plotting. They were conspiring against Nehemiah because they did not want the work of God to go forth. 
They didn't want it. And that's what the enemy does to us. He conspires against us. But again, if we're in the word and we're praying and we're fasting, whenever the enemy comes, we'll begin to sense something. We'll begin to say something ain't quite right. I feel something coming. And then we begin to intercede. We begin to pray and get in the word. And then revelation comes. And then God shows you how to pray. I believe you alluded to that earlier today, Manny, in Romans chapter 8, when it talks about that. You know, when you pray, you pray according to the will of God. The only way we can pray according to the will of God is if we have God in us, number one. We can scream, holler, snot, roll around on the floor all we want to, but the enemy is not going to back up on nothing we say. The enemy is going to back up based on the word of God. I love that scripture. I will restore to you the years, the palmer worm, the canker worm, the locust has eaten. I love the fact that when the enemy has been found out, he got to give it back. <laughs> I love that. Uh-huh, I saw you, devil. Now give me my stuff back. <laughs> give it all back. And, and the scripture goes on to say, let me read that. Proverbs 6.31, it says, But if he be found out, he shall restore sevenfold. But check this part out. He, mm, let me get, let me calm, calm down, Allison. Calm down. You will not run through the door and back and forth in the church today. Just calm on down. <laughs> but he will, if he be found out, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. Did y'all hear that? Not only, but see, you got to be in relationship with God. You got to have a relationship. And when I see, when I find out that the enemy is messing with my stuff, you're going to give me sevenfold and I'm taking yours too. All of it. I, because the word says I can do that. I ain't being greedy. I'm just adhering to the word. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just adhering to what God is saying. But we have to be in the right position spiritually to be able to claim and get back what the enemy has stole from us. Because again, he is not going to just give it back to you. That's why it's a war going on. Teach our, our fingers, our hands of war and our fingers to fight. I'm going to do battle for my household, for my children, for my finances, for my church, for the community. I'm going to do warfare. Why? Because the enemy has a stronghold over the minds and lives of God's people and he's going to loose them. Amen? Amen. But we have to be in position for that. When the enemy attacks our spiritual walls, he comes at vulnerable times when things are going on. When you look in Nehemiah 4.6, that attack came when the walls were half finished because there was, that was an, a strategic and it was an important time. And one of the things that the enemy does, he invades at strategic times when you're vulnerable, most open and affected by attacks. The prophet Jonah became despondent after the greatest revival ever experienced in Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. He was attacked. David fell into sin at the time of great victory in his life. Up until that time, he had not known a military defeat. The enemy will try to get you when you are vulnerable. So that's why when we are vulnerable, don't be telling people your stuff. Because the enemy will use people to try to bring you down. You may be at a low point in your life and you just need somebody to talk to. Have you tried Jesus? <laughs> talk to God. He's not going to tell nobody unless your pastor need to know. We put that in there. He's not going to put your stuff on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all. He's not, God is not going to do that. But when you're in a vulnerable position in your life, when God is doing the work, we cannot be running around telling our business to people we think we can trust. Because when you're vulnerable, you don't even know a snake when you see it. When you're vulnerable, all you know is you need somebody to lean your head on their lap. Delilah. Okay. 
When you're vulnerable, all you need is somebody to understand what you're going through. And then here they come, piggybacking off of what you said, and they didn't even really go through that. But they're such good liars that they can piggyback off of what you said, make up a whole story on the fly, and get you to tell all your business. We got to be careful. We have to be discerning of, have the gift of discerning of spirit because the gift of discerning of spirit will allow you to know the difference between a truth and a lie. And God wants us to do that. When we're being effective for God, it's important to have people around us that are trustworthy. Because I can't see every single thing that's going on. But I got my pastor around me. So apostle don't do that. And she don't, she don't even, she don't even say it hard. She said, you know, I would just really think about that. And guess what? I've learned when, when my pastor say something to me, well, I would just think about that. Or, or are you sure? Hey, I take that as let me back up because she might be seeing something that I ain't seeing because maybe my heart is in the way. So we have to be careful. We have to listen we have to be surrounded with real folk. Everybody say real folk. real folk. I'm so determined I don't want no jacked up people in my life. And they will not be in my life. I cut off like three people last year. 12, 59, 59. Did I say 12? I meant three. If I said 12, I meant three. I cut off three people. Why? You ain't adding no value. And I'm not talking about a value of life, but you full of drama. And all you bring in is drama to the table. And I don't witness to you, talk to you about Jesus, try to get you, you know, introduce a savior to you. But you got that spirit on you to say, yeah, but. So some people, you got to leave them to themselves. You ain't God. Once you give them the word, let God deal with them. Some water, some plant, God give the increase, that type of thing, you know. Amen. If Satan can, and then another wall that we have to protect is the wall of dissension where the enemy comes in. I talked about this. He wants to divide the body of Christ. If he can divide us and get us pitted against one another, he's done his job and then our ministry will become ineffective. And he does that through, I don't know, sometimes, you know, we can just get it in our head. We'll be thinking about stuff and we convince ourselves that what we're thinking is right. And it seems, and, and, and then people get an inner witness of the, their own spirit. You know, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit to give you that little quickening, that unction. Do you know that people can be so focused in their mind on what they think and saying is right, they can get a false witness and they think it's God? That's why we need people in our lives that can check our spirit and say, that ain't God. And when they tell us that ain't God, believe them. Because I can truly say that the pastors that I sit under, they love God. They serve God by God's grace. And I'm thankful for them. Another thing that we have to guard against is being a weak believer. And if we are a weak believer, that literally means weakness, no prayer, no word, and no power. When Nehemiah was building a wall, the people had become weak. They become, became discouraged, but he had to encourage them. He wasn't a weak leader. And I'm sure it got to the time when he was doing what God had called him to do that he was like, oh, God, this is getting heavy. Oh, Lord, this is, this is, this is interesting. But he did not give up. He had a mission, and his mission was accomplished in 52 days. So in closing, what are some, see, I, only, I think I got one closing apostle. Maybe two, maybe two. <laughs> what do we need to do? We need to check ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, but let a man examine himself. It didn't say examine his friends, his family. It said himself. See, we can't even righteously judge anyone. If people say, well, you know, we ain't supposed to judge. I can judge your fruit. I can judge righteously, but I can't even get to that point until I examine myself. And then you look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves. Now check this out. Whether you be in faith. Prove your own selves. Now, check that out. What, examine yourselves whether you be in faith. Am I? 
Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the Bible is telling me, you better examine yourself to see if you are even in faith. Amen? And remember that self-examination is the one thing that's going to help us all get to where we need to be in Christ. Nehemiah said, and I'm closing. See, that was number two. (laughs) Nehemiah said, arise and build. He was determined to rise and build what God has put on his heart to do. And he encouraged the people that were building with him. He didn't beat them down with a whip. He said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And, and another thing he did, remember, he put the people up on the wall with swords. So they had a spatula in one hand and a sword in the other. What is our sword? We building the kingdom of God on this earth. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God in which we're going to back the enemy up. So while you're building your spiritual walls and protecting what God has invested in you and doing what God has called you to do, us to do, we as a church family, we've got to be in the word. If we're not in the word, the enemy already has an inroad to trick your mind. So let's get in the word, let's stay in the word, and let's do what God has called us to do. That's my message. That was brought on today, and I know that some people have gotten some things, but some people that still is turning in your head. So the more you get into the word, the word will get into you. But what stuck with me with Nehemiah that began Nehemiah's journey, and this is where we have to be in the church. Nehemiah, when he heard about what happened to the walls, when he heard those walls were burnt down, when he heard that, that you know, those, it was left open for the enemy to come in and attack the people that was left, Nehemiah's heart was so for those people and so for God that he began to weep. He began to mourn. So God is saying today, where is your heart? Your heart got to be in a place, just like I taught, bringing in New Year's. Your heart have to have so much compassion in which you do, because if you're born again, you should have the compassion of God. You got to have so much compassion for the lost, for the hurting, for the depressed, for the ones that's oppressed, that you're forgetting about you. You're forgetting about how you feel. And you're looking at the people that don't know Jesus. Y'all, whether you realize it or not, we have people leaving here so quickly. You hear about them one day, they're gone the next day. It is time for us as a church to really, truly trust God. Because it's not over. We're looking at COVID, but it's more than COVID out here. It's going to keep coming and coming and coming. And it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. God send the church warnings. People act like they don't hear. Hear what I'm saying. A shot cannot save you for what's coming. Understand what I'm saying. Not telling you not to take the shot. But people are so dependent on shots, they're gathered up having parties. They're gathered up having such a good time because they got a shot. People are coming out dying with the shots. Because that's what the enemy wants. He wants everybody to depend on something outside of God. If you do have a shot, you still need Jesus. You need him more to know that his blood is running warm in your veins. And if you don't know Jesus, don't think that's going to save you. People are blinded. The God of this world all have people blinded. Why? Because he said, if I can't get you one way, I'm going to get you another. Because he want the sh- he want God to be ashamed of. I have learned that I have to trust God. Y'all, I have no other choice. Because God has brought me too far. 
to leave me. So every day I have to trust him because my life is already written. So I have to take him day by day and say, God, what do you have for me in this day? God, what would you have for me to do in this day? And I always hear, trust me. And when I can lean and depend and trust in God, no matter what comes, I can walk through it. And even if it come and attack me, I can still get through it. Why? Because my trust is in him and not looking to man to save me. You going into another round when man is going to say again, they said it one time before, we cannot save you. Save yourself. We don't have nothing to save you. You're going to have to save yourself. And the only way you can do it is by looking in the spiritual mirror every day. Do not be fooled. Before people were taking shots, they were taking Lysol with them. Let's be real. They had Lysol all around them. They had hand sanitizer all around them. Now they got the shot, they don't need none of that no more. Let's just be honest. So you know where you are. You're dependent on something that you think is more effective than God. Like I'm saying, it's okay to take it. But if you're leaving God out the equation, have mercy. <laughs> the only thing I'm saying, y'all, and I have said this and said this and said this, it's going to take the word. My son, pay attention to my word. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto all those that find them. And their health, medicine, to all your flesh. Nothing will be able to keep us in these times that we're living in but the word. And we can go through whatever with the word. And we shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. It takes trusting in God. I'm going to give you another one. I can't even trust in myself. <laughs> I can't depend on myself because me, myself, and I will mess up. So take your trust out of everything and everybody except what's written in that word. What's written will never change, y'all. So let's grab hold to it more this year. Let's give life out more this year from the word than telling people what the news is saying because the news people cannot save you. They're only telling you what's out there. They cannot save you. The word has already done everything, y'all. So let's depend on the word. Trust God because it's more. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's more to come. So we give God glory for the word that Apostle brought today. And we thank God for the ones that have come out today. And I know it's a little different with these masks, Jesus. Only thing I know is Pope Patricia Pierce over there is like, Lord, help me. Lord, I'm doing the best I can. If I can just get a little breather in on the day, I'll be all right. I believe I can make it. <laughs> but let me tell you why Miracle Temple, we're wearing these masks. Not because we're fearful. During the holidays, people gather up because they got shots. They party. They go visit. They hang around a lot of people. When they come back, they still carry what's on them. They bring it around you and they look normal. And you don't know that they're not okay. The only way you will know it is through the spirit. Even in church, people want to come get the word. But if they've been everywhere, they bring it in in the church because the enemy got to have somebody unaware bringing something to the church to stop the church because he don't want you to have life. So after the holidays, I said, everybody will put on a mask. Because some people are still doing what they're doing and know what they're doing ain't right. And in and everywhere and trying to say Psalms 91 and you don't a bit more know what Psalms 91 mean. And if you don't know what the word is saying, you can quote it all day long. But it's time to hear what God has to say for real. So y'all, let's quit playing church. Let's quit acting like we know when we don't know.
The more you get into the word, the more you will know. It ain't time now to be gathering just because you can gather. If we're gathering in his name and our hearts are right, God is already here. So let's just do what we know is right according to the word. And I'm here to tell you, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, what? Thou shalt condemn. And I'm here to tell you, y'all, the enemy is after the head. If he can get the head, he got the body. But he's trying to get the leaders that's up under the head. Because if he get the leaders that's holding up the head's hands, then he got a way into the church. This is why you need to be in your word. You need to be in the things of God and not in the things of the world. Amen. At this time, do we have any announcements? I know we have.